Crushgasm, the podcast that's been dedicated to bringing you the highs and lows of crushes, but we're shaking things up to crush on a whole decade. Yep, we're talking all things 90s, and we're bringing back some familiar faces. Well, voices like our guest today, Demanda Martini, a drag artist extraordinaire who's here to talk about all things 90s, and who you heard before talking about a beastly random crush from a Disney classic. But today, we're going to talk about her busy schedule and the year that made everyone want to jump, jump, 1992. Demanda, have you been? I have been great. Um, this past year has been super crazy. Um, I've started a lot of regular, uh, like, in-person gigs, which has been incredible. I've gotten to uh, be on a bunch of different nerdy podcasts. Um, Like, shit really hit the fan during Pride season, uh, aside from getting started at a brand new venue called DC Vegan here in Washington, D.C., doing um, a lot of Pride gigs, because they're right on DuPont Circle, which is like the big gay mecca of D.C. But I also... um, like really got thrown into like I'm not gonna say national but almost national scene of drag story hour and all of the nonsense that's gone on um with that uh which it's it's been exciting it's been exhausting it's been sad it's been amazing um but yeah like what a year you know those drag story hours it's like how many of you are out there reading to the youth come on somebody's gotta do it and who wouldn't want a drag performer there i'd be so excited as a kid and and the thing is that the the families and parents who are there in good faith are so incredible and so lovely um but i mean there are those people and they definitely mean to do us harm so well they are trash and they're not welcomed in the crushgasm realm so that is that is true (laughs) That nobody has crushes on those type of people. <laughs> so before we start, uh, like you said, you're always booked and blessed uh, from brunches, bingo, you're reading to the youth. Can you tell people where they can find you online? And I'm going to make you repeat that later, but just, you know, heads up. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So you can find me across all social media uh, at Demanda Martini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, most importantly, Cash App and Venmo. Um, you can you can find you can keep up with all of the uh, things that I'm doing. I in February, uh, February 2023, I'll have just gotten back from a trip to Utah where I will have done my first um, my first gig in Utah, which is kind of awesome. Um, as well as meeting with my old college, Utah State University, meeting with their Queer Student Alliance. Um, also, because uh, I'm, I'm now like a guest speaker. Um, also, I'll be going attending Farpoint Convention, which is my big convention that I go to every year just outside of Baltimore uh, and doing a drag show there. So um, that, w- that will have happened. And hopefully I will, uh, fingers crossed, will be continuing uh, doing my 
gigs at DC Vegan called Demand a Nightcap, where we mix drag with readings of erotic fiction. Oh, I think I've been to that area. I don't go to DC too often, just when we need to stock up on some herbal refreshments. Yes. <laughs> so, but I think we walked around there uh, recently. It was so such a cute neighborhood. It's it, it's just such a cute venue. So um, even if you're not vegan or vegetarian, I I am not either of those things. But the food is still really good, um, and all of the cocktails are made fresh. Like so. If you're looking for like a quick drink on the go, that's not it's not really the vibe for that. I mean, of course you can stop in and you know get whatever, but like they're all handcrafted cocktails. So like it's like a place to come and just like chill for the evening. It is it's a very just it's just like a super chill atmosphere. I look forward to hopefully going out and seeing you one day when the weather is better and I'm so scared of deers and it's deer teeth. Like I'm so scared to hit a deer. Like it's my biggest fear since moving to the East Coast. Uh, I'm, I mean, as someone who grew up in a neighborhood neighborhood called Deer Park, I feel that. It's like, I love Bambi, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> like I was terrified. Um, so let's kick this off with what you were doing and where you were in 1992. Was it Deer Park? I was. I was in Deer Park. So I was 10 years old and I was a little queer child just struggling to uh, be trying to be myself, but also still trying to conform to things. But yeah, I grew up in a little small town, uh, which I still live in, uh, outside of of Washington, D.C. in Southern Maryland. And um, yeah, so I would have been in, what, fourth grade? Fourth grade Mm -hmm. when in 1992, which comes, again, for those of you listening, it's important to remember that I was 10 years old when I go talking about some of the things that were influential in my childhood. I mean, it's okay. I talk about Dirty Dancing, but I was five when I started watching <laughs> that. And I I just made my guy watch it for the first time ever. And he was like, this is highly sexual. <laughs> it is highly sexual. It took me until I was at least 18 to understand that Penny had an abortion. Oh, same. Also, I did you catch that like the person that ran the resort was kind of pimping out those like the oh, men there? Oh, 100%. 100%. Did not catch that until oh like a week or two ago when I watched it with him. I was like, I don't remember this um brothel part of it. <laughs> yeah, he he most definitely did. And the thing is that if you're getting that vibe about him and like the young men, just imagine what he was doing to the women who worked there. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he was just the men. He was like, you got, you're going to Harvard next year. You got to make some extra bucks. Sleep (laughs) with that woman. Like, what? Just wild. Just wild. (laughs) The plot. I was like, it's a classic. He's like, this is horrible. I was like, whatever. So the past couple of years, like 1990, 1991, we've covered, um, it has felt like a little 80s adjacent like we still had a little overflow but in terms of pop culture 1992 for me seemed to be the year that started to feel like the magic that is the 90s for you you said the most significant pop culture thing of 1992 was madonna's album erotica why is that uh so for me erotica was such a huge like thing for me so the first album I ever received as a gift was Madonna's Immaculate Collection, which I would have gotten like 
probably the summer before that. Uh, so it was the summer that um, my grandmother passed away in Utah and my mother, because there was four, four of us kids, my mother bought all of us a Walkman and a tape because uh, our giant van that we used to use to travel across the country, had the air conditioning had broke, which means oh. that we all had to pile into my dad's Honda Accord and drive across the country. So my my, my grandmother had just had a stroke, so my mom was like, I don't want to hear any of you kids mm-hmm. as we're driving across the country. Okay. I don't want to hear complaining about like what music we're listening to. So everyone's getting a tape. Everyone's getting a Walkman. Be quiet. So I got Madonna's Immaculate Collection. Um, and like that, again, was so influential to me. So the first album that I um, got of Madonna's after that was Erotica, which is which was her next release in 1992. And again, I was 10 years old and I knew that Madonna was releasing an album. I knew really nothing about like what, <laughs> like what it was about, like yeah. what, what was going on. But I remember there also being a hubbub about her releasing her sex book as well that year, which I now do own an Italian copy of. Is it Italian or French? I should look at it again. Um, <laughs> but I got, had gotten on eBay uh, a few years ago. But um, And I remember there being like a hubbub and people being like, oh, Madonna is gross. And, uh, you know, how dare she do this stuff? And I was just listening to this album, the title track being erotica, being like, I just felt like this music is so good it was just like it, I was just it was just a complete vibe I remember the song Deeper and Deeper was a song that we uh, did dance warm-ups to in my dance class that I was in and I was like see this is so popular music and also I remember uh, there was another song on there called Thief of Hearts which was like the first time I heard like swearing in a song and I felt so adult <laughs> thing, listening to this song because the whole song start, starts there going bitch and I was oh. like oh I was like yes ah I was just living my life and like me listening on my Walkman like in our giant van because I grew up with three brothers uh, we can we drove all over because my brothers played travel soccer or you know we would just we're just this you know family and we all got things to do so we we're just always in the car and me just like lip syncing for my life <laughs> to Madonna's erotica was like such like such a thing uh, there's also um, so come to find out that Thief of Hearts was actually written about Robin Wright because that was oh. at the moment that um, Robin Wright and Sean Penn got together mm. so Madonna was like mm, fuck you bitch um, and uh, the OG the- Olivia Rodrigo over there Yes, and um, like uh, there also Bad Girl was on there, um, just talking about like addiction and um, just being again, just being like bad. And again, I was ten years old, being like, I am this bad bitch. I remember <laughs> there was one time I was listening to that album when we were going to my parents' church to like help clean up, and me listening to this album in the church building, like cleaning church. I was like. I feel powerful. Like I just feel like this is it. Um, but and that that album also had "Justify My Love," which was like another huge controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, wait, no, it wasn't. It was "Justify My Love" was on bedtime stories. That's oh. when I that's when I um, heard that. But like, so there was just so much controversy 
around it and I kind of just like felt like, oh, I'm a part of like this bigger conversation about like free speech and, you know, women being able to express themselves. And again, I'm just this little like blonde (laughs) queer child in the middle of suburbia just being like, yes, free speech. Women's bodies are, you know, women are allowed to have their own bodies and make their own choices. And <laughs> You're going to march after that. <laughs> Girl, I was, I was a lot, but, but I also remember when I got that album, my brother, my, one of my older brothers was like, mom, what are you doing? Like, they're 10 years old. <laughs> my mom was like, they don't know what it means. It's just music. I feel like that was the thing, though, in the 90s. It was as long as you were quiet with whatever you liked, your parents just didn't care what it was. was Like, whether it was Madonna or South Park, they're like, as long as they're not bothering me, I don't care. Right. And, (laughs) and like, I mean, that's how I kind of feel that, like, you know, parents are now with, like, as long as your kid's quiet on their pad, Mm -hmm. like, you know, whatever. It's kind of like the start of that, of that kind of generation. Because also, like, both of my parents at that time um, worked. So it was like, you know, we just kind of like did it for ourselves. And when we were all all traveling together again, after that, um, like long road trip, it was like, just bring your headphones wherever you're going. Cause you don't, you know, so, you know, the nineties was like early 92 or 92 was also like a lot of like when grunt, like the grunge movement started, I think. Mm -hmm. And so like that, a lot of that music, I just did not care for. I was like, (laughs) give me Madonna, give me Whitney, give me Janet and none of my brothers were into that stuff so like they you and I'm also number three out of four so like I didn't get a say in like what we listened to as a family I mean not to mention that obviously my parents also had a lot to you know say about like what music was was being played so like I like lived in my in my earphones and just like you know had, had, had my own thing and again as long as I was just lip syncing and not singing along it was all good I mean that's you gotta love that I mean god I miss having my little CD player my little Walkman I think Mariah Carey was my first Walkman tape but in right. third grade <laughs> a few years later so before we dive into the music and TV and movies of 1992 I do want to get into a little running segment that I've come up with here and that's about people's sexiest man and the most beautiful pics uh, for those covers which one of them in 1992 was a little bit questionable and you can guess which one so they were Nick Nolte and Jodie Foster so <laughs> so which one do you think was the sexiest <laughs> Well, Jodie Foster, first of all, because that this was like right on the heels of her winning the Oscar, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> for, for, for *Silence of the Lambs*. So, um, first of all, Jodie Foster is is amazing. I mean, she she strikes me as a little bit of like an odd person, but I mean, anyone who like grows up as like I guess like a sexual being as a child in Hollywood, and then and then is like uh like. And then doesn't then doesn't have any sort of like doesn't play a lot of roles that are very sexual in nature. I guess mm-hmm. I should say like as at like as they got older, like they sort of like veered off of like that sex bath thing. And she became like and she's a very like serious actress. I still say Jodie Foster is hot. I loved her in Silence of the Lambs. And Nick Nolte, did he deserve people's sexiest man? He he got that because was it was it Prince of Tides that had just come out, or was it what what was it of his that like came out that like made him 
the sexiest? I mean, I think his agents just pushed him because all I can think of, all that is seared into my mind is that mugshot of his from years down the right, line. Right. <laughs> That's like I mean, all I, I can... mean, just looking at like the big, like the big movies of 1992, I don't see him in any of this. Like he's not in any of them. So I can only imagine that something in 1991 must have been... Mm-hmm. Um, or 93 to like be like oh well because well, it always comes out around thanksgiving so okay. maybe we'll we'll say sexy now so in january february you'll go see his movie right sounds of the lands like i'm just like i don't i just don't see anything oh he d- he just won the the oscar for prince of tides it was mm-hmm. prince of tides well, um, questionable questionable 92 and, and the thing one. is like as as a big barbara streisand fan i've seen prince of tides Nick Nolte was not like <laughs> super hot in that movie. I mean, the movie to me isn't even like that romantic. It's it's all about like trauma and him discovering his trauma or whatever. So it's like I I don't get it. I mean, if you're, I'm never here to yuck someone's yum. Like someone else, I'm sure felt that. And I I also feel like it wasn't so much that he was hot. He was just like hot in the public eye at the moment after winning an Oscar. He was the it guy. Yeah. He, he he was just it and like sort of riding high on on his career at the moment. That's how Blake Shelton got it in recent years. Cause... Uh, 100%. <laughs> no. No. He's no Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> so you said um, speaking of trauma the grunge movement did stir in the, in the, around that time and Nirvana was huge. But, but you didn't have a grunge phase. You just weren't feeling that music. So I would say style-wise, because again, being a young queer child in in a small town, you definitely sort of like assimilate. And also being a middle child, you're still getting a lot of like hand-me-downs and so you're just kind of like wearing whatever. So I would say style-wise, I was slightly grunge, but like musically, no. Like I, aside from um, a "Smells Like Teen Spirit," I literally probably couldn't name you another Nirvana song. <laughs> I and, mean, that's the one to know. Like, if you're at a trivia night, it's gonna be that. Yeah, but 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 I mean, like you know, there's the kids these days who like wear their Nirvana shirts, and all of the you know older millennials are like, unless you can name me four songs by Nirvana, <laughs> I'm like I can't either. <laughs> yeah. I had a Smashing Pumpkins shirt in high school, but I only got it. I didn't know it was a band shirt. I only got it because I liked the design. So I was like, right. a little poser. <laughs> so like, like, so again, my brothers were all kind of into that music. Um, so like uh, Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all of that stuff. I didn't really get into sort of rock music until a little bit later. And again, it was mostly due to like my brothers having me listen to stuff. Um, like I got kind of into like E6, 311. Um, oh, what's the another like late 90s? Uh, I'm not a perfect person. Uh, simple plan? No, no, that oh, that's... oh, Hoobastank. Hoobastank. <laughs> like, it's like I kind of got into those as like the later 90s happened. Um, but also around this time is when. Um, like we hung out with my cousins a lot because we were going to Utah a lot 
And um, I also got into sort of like classic rock. So like, and my oldest, and my oldest brother was very into like Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, that that sort of stuff. And my dad has has always been a, an Almond Brothers, um, Almond Brothers band, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like that kind of music was like more like my rock music, and just grunge just didn't appeal to me. To me, they just looked like dirty teenagers who were just sad. And even though I was a dirty teenager who was sad, for whatever reason, like I wanted the fantasy of pop music. I get that. I get that. And as great as I mean, we can't deny it. Nirvana was great. They were influential, but they didn't make enough waves on the big charts for me. But they weren't like boys to men. Do you remember like the hold boys to men had on the world in the nineties? I mean, girl, when I tell you, so as someone who mostly has female artists, like that's like my big catalog. The fact that I still owned boys to men, baby face. And, uh, Oh, who was another one that uh, it doesn't matter, but like literally, uh, I now watch like a nineties music video station, but I just like have on like while I'm cooking or cleaning or whatever in my house. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you the baby face or um, Boys to Men comes on, I'm like, come on, middle school jams. Like that, like, uh, such good stuff. Such good stuff. And like those videos, they're so expressive. Do you think like a lot of maybe drag artists kind of look to those classic R&B artists from the 90s to get that emotion in their lip sync performances? I mean, I would, I would so again as someone who is older and like and performed i would say that because we were those kids that you know mom and dad just gave us the headphones and mm-hmm. so we were just like lip syncing to our room i 100% absolutely so i just won i just recently won a drag competition here oh. in dc Yay. um it's it's a like every month there's a little one and then in march there's going to be a big pageant it's called um slay them so i was the december winner um, and so the big pageant is going to be in March at Red Bear Brewing. And the the big, like the top three lip sync song was Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Okay. And like these 19 year olds uh, that I was competing against. And again, they're all very lovely, great performers. Um, but they were like, oh yeah, I don't really know this song. Like, oh my gosh, I've been like working really hard trying to learn the song. And I'm like, Y'all, I've literally been singing this song since I was in, like, sixth grade. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly when that song came out, but, like, it came out in the mid-90s, and I'm like, I was firmly... Celine Dion also had a firm chokehold on me in the 90s. So, like... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, like, growing up with, you know, Madonna and um, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, like, that's how I learned to lip sync. Like that's, that's how I learned to sing. So it's like those, those kind of like overly expressive and, and, and also like, again, Babyface, uh, Boys to Men, TLC, um, you know, these overly expressive artists. Like that's, that's like my wheelhouse. Like I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. Like VH1, I had that before MTV for some mm-hmm. reason. And just Celine Dion, Cheryl Crow, I loved all that. Like, <laughs> like yeah. music that like 30 year old moms or 40 year old moms probably liked in the 90s was my jam. Like, I love Matchbox 20. <laughs> like, Rob Thomas, love you. <laughs> 
And I don't think we could talk about music from this year without mentioning what I think is one of the top 10 songs that kind of define the decade, and that is Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. And it's ridiculous, and it's wonderful, and really, I think it's the first time that we did get some love for the backside during a time when it was just like white women, blonde, rail thin, but it did take some time for the world to kind of catch up to this song because there's a debate on who brought the appreciation to the ample backside. Um, <laughs> do you think it was Destiny's Child Bootylicious or J-Lo in that infamous dress or the curse that is the Kardashians? <laughs> well, so here's This the- is real journalism oh. here, people. <laughs> so, so definitely, like, I feel like Sir Mix-a-Lot was, like, doing it, but also doing it with, like, tongue firmly planted in cheek knowing that it needed to be funny in order for people to like get it mm-hmm. and like and like sort of like get get into the idea um i mean like listening to it now it's i mean first of all he's making fun of the white girls making fun of the black girls in that song like that's definitely what you know what he's doing but at the same time it's also like like listening to it now, it's like, oh, this is this is a little like a little bit of a problem. But <laughs> but again, 1992, you know, we're we're listening to it now, you know, 30 years later. But anyway, to answer your direct question, you're very researched and thorough mm-hmm. question. I mean, I would I would honestly have to say that J Lo was kind of what that the infamous green dress because. Also, like in the, that late '90s huge Latin explosion that happened, Latin I feel invasion. like her doing that at that exact time was really like what I think I, in my opinion, cemented it. Right, and we just—they, you didn't mention them, but I mentioned them, the Kardashians. But the production company that kind of forced the world to keep up with that family was actually behind the Real World, which dropped its first season in 1992. Which at the time, the show was pretty groundbreaking and wild to watch. And a few years later, we did meet Pedro, who was a gay Hispanic man with AIDS, and he had this platform to tell his story. So that was a grand moment for the show. But overall, the show set the stage for the hot mess express that is reality TV. Um, 100%. So I remember watching that first season mm-hmm. when I when I was little and having, first of all, having the first, like, out person that I think I'd ever seen on television that season. And also, I believe her name was Heather um, as as the, the Black woman who was also trying to be um, a hip-hop artist. Um, like, it, like, that show was, it was so real and, like, people having, like, real fights but also like because they knew that they had to live together like actually talking through their stuff um was really was really wild um but yeah I, I mean I distinctly remember watching the real world and then I got obsessed with it by the time um that uh, uh so, so like I definitely watched San Francisco with Pedro um but by the time like the season in Miami hit, like I was firmly into it. <laughs> Cynthia from Miami, still like my number one favorite uh, real world person ever. Um, yeah, oh, love the real world. 
I didn't watch too much. I was more of like a road rules kind of kid, but uh, I do remember watching, I think it was Trishel in Vegas was really memorable. There was the chick in, I think, from Walla Walla, Washington on one season who had always mentioned she was from Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> like we cared. And of course, there's the Hawaii and the San Diego's, of course. Yeah, so like H- H- Hawaii was when there was like the firm shift to like, cause that was like the 1999, 2000 season. Like there was like a firm shift to, Oh, we actually need to find crazy people to <laughs> yeah. be in our houses and people that will cause a problem. Um, and that, and, and then by the time they got to Las Vegas with Trishel, then it was about nothing, but let's find the hottest, messiest people that we can mm-hmm. find that we know are going to have sex in this house and be messy. And then and then they decided to shift and take it to J- the Jersey Shore and, you know, well, again, history. Is, hot you know. mess express of reality <laughs> TV. But did yep. you know there was actually a season plan before New York? They actually refer to it as season zero. And it cast somebody named Tracy Grandstaff. And did you know who she went on to be? No. The voice of Daria. Really? Yeah. Fun fact for everybody. I was like, because everyone thinks, of course, uh, what's her name? You know. Yeah. Everyone thinks that's Daria, but it was Tracy Grandstaff who brought our our icon to life. (laughs) So another show that premiered that year, which I'd also say is groundbreaking in its own way, was Melrose Place. Um, I was far too young to have watched it, but I totally did. And this was sort of like Fox's way of cashing in on that success of 90210, but making it the drama older and I like 90210 but I definitely love Melrose Place more what one did you favor either oh, so people knew, again this is how old I am people knew in high school that you did not call me on Monday or Wednesday <laughs> nights because it was Melrose Place and 90210 um I love Melrose Place that show it, it's like once it found it's like niche of like mm-hmm. oh no just turn the batshit crazy up <laughs> it was what like Marsha Cross's character was just insane. One of my and one of my absolute favorite moments that I remember watching live on television was right after oh what was her name? The other redhead was it Sydney? I believe so. <laughs> yes. She, she, yes. She gets married to like the hot model guy and they walk out after getting married and someone runs her over. <laughs> it was like this is wild. And I also remember the season at the very end when Marsha Cross's character blows up Melrose Place and you didn't know who lived or died. I mean wild groundbreaking television. So good. And they like don't they don't make it like that anymore. They just no, don't they do don't. I mean to have I loved Heather Lockler's character, oh. Amanda Woodward. I went on to love Brian Kinney and uh, Queer's Folk later in life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, should I go into marketing? Because they were both in that <laughs> field. And I thought, I think that's what I meant to do. I didn't, but I just thought because two of my favorite characters. <laughs> but did you watch the reboot in 2009 that lasted, sadly, only one season? So I did, I did not. But I did watch LA Complex, which was a very similar style show. That was a Canadian show, but uh, set in in LA, starring uh, one of the one of the the actresses from Degrassi and uh, oh, Manny, yeah, and Jewel. Well, I can't remember her last name from Firefly. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. From Flash and Forward. That show was also wild. So again, Manny from Degrassi, like one of her first story arcs is that she has to go get a plan B before she goes to an audition and the plan B makes her sick at the audition. I love, I think for the Degrassi fandom, we said that show was really just Manny's continuation uh, because she wanted to be an actress. Yeah, it, it it kind of was. But I love that show. I was so sad when it ended. Um, there was also like a crazy, um, I believe he was he was a hip hop artist who was a closet homosexual, and uh, eventually like found love with his agent, and it it was wild. It was wild. Oh, wow. Anyway, not at all in the nineties. But nineties, it kind of gave you that nineties feel, though. <laughs> yeah. well, and it, it, because it was definitely it was definitely trying to go for that Melrose Place. Ever it was like everyone living in an LA apartment complex everyone having like their own stories and how like sometimes they'd intersect um and again it was also like very like adult problems which was (laughs) very melrose place yeah (laughs) but it sadly ended but i just don't want to talk about the shows that like started i do want to talk about one that ended and that was golden girls it ended in 1992 that series finale still can make me cry today and Mm -hmm. I know there's all this like friends versus living single online, but really those two to me just ripped off Golden Girls. <laughs> but <laughs> nevertheless, why and how do you think Golden Girls, a show about four senior citizens, has been able to sustain itself in pop culture this long? I think the reason is because, well, first it plays on archetype characters, which as uh, living single, friends, uh, uh, sex in the city, um, really any show where there's like you know a group of friends um, and I also feel and I also feel like it was because that show treated them like people not as just these old women because I mean like for a lot of those women that was still, like in the middle of their careers it wasn't like it was even what a show which should have been towards the end of their career because they were playing like these quote old women like that's firmly in the middle of all of their careers. Um, I think that like Blanche was supposed to be like only in her. They were only supposed to be like in their 50s, 60s, so they weren't yeah. like that old. Right, right. Um, but but yeah, but you know, a, a show about like you know these women, you know, at the in the golden years of their life or whatever, and it's like they still had sex. They still went on dates. They were they had, but but because they were older ladies, they had ex-husbands they had grown children um and i feel like because the writers were also like we need to and i think a little bit of it is b arthur because of you know her like i guess you know long story short like politics because of like her like sort of not love but like interest and in, like talking about like what was really going on in the world i mean like with mod you know there was the abortion episode mm-hmm. and you know all of that i feel like she just was like no we need to talk about like what's happening we need to like not just make this show like all this fluff even though there was definitely some fluff i mean who who can't forget the cat costumes or the turkey <laughs> costumes or the no what other costumes that they made them wear like whatever weird the chicken little <laughs> yes but i i i th- i think like that's why that show resonates and also because of 
our generation of growing up sort of in front of the TV, you know, the TV being the babysitter, like that show is just something that like we we watched. And then, you know, the invent of like syndication and reruns where it's like, oh, this is like my comfort show that I get to watch when I come home from school or, you know, that I watch before dinner or, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, like a lot of those shows from the 90s to me are like that. It's like, it's just these comfort things because it's what, it's what I did when I needed to, like, when I needed to have something to comfort me. Makes sense. And they say the reason we watch shows, like you said, over and over again is because it's familiar and that is comforting. So I get that. But also, B. Arthur is a boss bitch, so <laughs> that is why. One of, she's one of my favorite stories of B. Arthur is uh, I am a huge fan of Rufus Wainwright, who is a recording artist. And he has this amazing song called California, in which he talks about um, you know, going to California, yada, 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 and how his grandma, and how he wanted to meet his new gra- his new grandma, B. Arthur. Because <laughs> when he was growing up, he wa- would watch the Golden Girls with his grandmother, and that was the sort of, like, bonding thing they have. So then when his grandmother passed, B. Arthur became his new grandmother. So at one moment, Rufus Wainwright did this um, AIDS charity event hosted by B. Arthur, and they're backstage together and Rufus Wainwright just like goes into all this stuff like, oh my gosh, B. Arthur, like I have to tell you the story and blah, 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 which is a story I'm sure B. Arthur has heard a million times from a million fans. And she has sort of like got up from her from her uh, makeup chair and he just went, honey, I am not your fucking grandmother. Oh my God. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like 100% B. Arthur. I live it i love it it's great <laughs> oh, oh my god b i'm more of a boss bitch than i thought <laughs> oh yeah the woman the woman uh drove trucks in world war ii yeah i always see that photo and i'm like jesus <laughs> you also like how like god you, it's like it puts time in a perspective that is like a little confusing <laughs> right right like I said, I couldn't talk to you in 1992 without bringing up what is often considered one of the best animated series ever, and that is X-Men. I mean, from the theme song to the way the show, I feel, didn't talk down to its audience. It was on Saturday morning, but it did feel pretty grown. Like, it told stories that you could follow and that weren't silly. Were you, like, tuned in Saturday mornings? Because you were the perfect age for this. Well, first of all, as someone who already was in love with the X-Men, before the show came out. And uh, and also, so I started reading comics around like 89, 90-ish, I think. No, no, like, oh no, like only like 91, but it just seemed like su- such a long time. Um, I was already into the X-Men's when I found out they were doing a cartoon, I was like, you mean the comics that I'm already in love with? Is this cartoon made specifically for me? <laughs> for me specifically? When I tell you every Saturday, me and my brothers, would watch and record every episode. And so that way we had it on tape so we could watch it again and again and again. And I, to this day, still have probably the, maybe just the first season, but like the first season completely memorized. I love the show so much. Um, For the people who uh, are, you know, are hopefully that I am bringing to your podcast listen, already know that I'm such a huge X-Men fan. Um, I was so in love with the show and I loved the fact that even though it was quote for kids it still dealt with the issues that the X-Men dealt with like and it was a fairly 
faithful. It's a fairly faithful adaptation of the source material. Um, they really like brought these characters as we grew up seeing them to the screen with very little changes to their backstory or their personalities. Um, and it was just such a great show. And like you said, it didn't really dumb down any of the stuff. Like it still talked about, you know, how mutants were being persecuted and it talked about, uh, you know, uh, Magneto's family being um, killed in a war. They never brought up the Holocaust, but, you know, being killed in a, in a war and um, just, ah, just such a good show. It is such, uh, like, it, it, so the my only sort of like thing that I dislike about the show is that because it had such a stronghold on a whole generation, a lot of fans, uh, you know, of my contemporaries can't seem to like let that era go and move on from it. So in the comic books, there's always like this regression, like to the status quo of the nineties. And I'm just like, can we like, can we not? Like these people now have 30 plus years of continuity in between then and you guys just want to continue to regress them <laughs> to, to the 90s and it and it get, and it does get frustrating as a fan and someone who's been a fan of like just the progression that the X-Men have made over the last three decades mm-hmm. um because even like I mean so there's going to be a revival it's going to be called X-Men 97 that's going to be coming to Disney plus yes. and the showrunner of that show I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet but we are actually i don't know if we're mutuals i don't know if he follows me back but i do follow him on social media he's friends with some of like my friends just because you know x-men twitter like we all know each other and even he has like some really crazy takes that are firmly planted in the 90s and i'm like it's one of those things where, where he's like tell me you haven't read comics in the last 30 years without telling me you haven't read comics in the last 30 years <laughs> and like it's fine i mean i understand that like the show's gonna be the show, just like with the MCU and other fans being like, well, this is what I think should happen. It's like, well, girl, it's not gonna be what you think should happen. It's gonna be whatever, you know, the writers, whatever story they want to tell. Like, it's not it's not gonna be what we want. It's gonna be what these people want to create. And um, so anyway, the show is amazing. I love it. I still watch it at least once a year in its entirety. Oh, wow. So I did get to interview Larry F. Houston, who worked on the show back in the day. And we talked about the show in terms of it appealing to black kids in particular, Uh because the mutants, you know, they're in in a society where like they're the other. Mm -hmm. And it's also a huge pop culture favorite I've noticed in the LGBTQ community. And I think for many of the same reasons. And sadly, all these years, like you mentioned in the beginning, we're still fighting for those rights and just plain respect in that community. So what do you think Marvel finally letting the X-Men joining their universe is going to do for those kids today that still kind of feel like the other, like to get those X-Men characters in this bigger platform than they already have? The thing is, they're they're already being better about, in the, at least in the last, in the last few years, um, they're being so, somewhat better about the representation that they're bringing into the larger MCU as a whole. Because even, again, as a fan of comic books for a long time, um, even the comic books sometimes have to 
be changed or rewritten to fit whatever is going on in the MCU at the moment, which kind of sucks, but you know, whatever. It I I get it. It's all about marketing and making money. I mean, we do live under a capitalist structure. Um, but I I I I don't know if it's if it will have the exact same impact because they've already sort of gone that way because like when Mm -hmm. the X-Men were introduced as sort of like the stand-in for the other there really weren't other there there weren't other people to look to there weren't black characters there weren't gay characters there were barely any female characters um so I I I mean I I I don't know I don't know whether or not the X-Men would have that same sort of feel that that they have for um, people just because they're, I mean, even we live just in after, such a um, more like, I think pop culture's grown since then. So you're saying because I mean, what what marginalized communities will do is they'll latch on to whatever small like glimpse of representation that they see and just sort of be like, this is mine. This is yeah. ours. <laughs> we get to have this. No one else gets to have it. This is mm-hmm. ours. Um, and we just sort of like latch onto it, which is great because uh, you know when you don't have anything and like you want to like sort of like put yourself into it, that's you know what you do. But it's like we already do have some representation in there. I mean, the MCU is still extremely lacking in LGBTQ plus representation. Um, I mean, like a one-off chance hug or touch or whatever is not is not actual valid representation in my opinion. Anyway, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I will, I will be interested to see how they bring the X Men in. I mean, they've already mentioned mutants now twice in the mm-hmm. MCU, so we'll see what happens. Well, time will tell. Time will yeah. tell. <laughs> so it's time to switch gears and talk about the movies. Mm-hmm. And your first time here, like we said, you talked about Beast from Beauty and the Beast, but that came out the year prior, ninety one. Mm-hmm. But ninety two, one too shabby. We got Aladdin, another very attractive yet problematic man in the Disney <laughs> realm. Was this a movie you thought was as good as Beauty and the Beast when you first saw it? Um, so I still loved Aladdin. I loved I think I think I still like Beauty and the Beast more, but I mean I when Aladdin came out, I was still all about it. I remember I made my entire family go see it. Like that that was like art. I was like, I wanna go see this, so you all have to come see it with me. Like I made them come see it. Um I remember that year for Christmas, like I, I got all of the Aladdin stuff. Um I mean I was still very into it. But yeah, I, I mean I, I wouldn't say I mean I think now I wouldn't say that I liked Aladdin more than Beauty and the Beast. I mean Little Mermaid is still like my number one. Um but definitely like but I would say like those are probably my top three. Are you excited for the live action Little Mermaid? I am excited for the live action Little Mermaid. I have yet to like any of the live yeah. action. <laughs> um but I feel really good about this one. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I feel good about this one. I mean, the only one I really liked, and it's because it's so old and it's just like no real people at one point, is Jungle Book. I thought they did a good job with that. But again, that one's so old and it's not, I'm not attached to that one. Like I am Beauty and the Beast. The the thing with Jungle Book and even The Lion King, I'm like, I'm like, this isn't live action. Stop calling it live action. I mean, The Lion King looked like a, a nature documentary. I could, I was like, nope. And the Aladdin one, I'll say this forever, looked like a porn parody. I, I, we literally didn't even, when I tried watching it, I didn't even make it to the genie. 
Mm-mm. Like I, I, I was already out. I was like, nope, I'm done. I'm, I, I, I could, I just could. And the thing is, you can usually get me in with like a very attractive man who like wears not a lot of clothes. Mm-hmm. But I was, I, I was, I was just not into it. I could not. I like, I even finished Mulan, which I felt was not great. But I couldn't even get into Aladdin. Don't even be started on the Beauty and the Beast one. I. Did not like that. I fell asleep until the end when it got violent, and then I was like, "Okay." But until then, I was I didn't like anything about that. But yeah, I'm I'm like you. I am optimistic about the Little Mermaid, and I'm 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 just hoping it's not horrible trash like the rest. Well, and 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 also like I just I just hope that it's good. So I will I will still go support it and see it in the movie theater because I don't want the the bad people to win if that makes sense yeah i actually have an outfit for it i'm really excited i got a sequin purple crop top and green jeans yes like like i'm I'm still down for it and like what it potentially could represent for a lot of people so like i want to go support it but also if melissa mccarthy fucks it up i literally will throw a table yeah it's well, uh, hopefully it is better than that one they did like on ABC oh. with like, Shaggy and Sebastian. Yes, that was. Oh, well, even like that recent Beauty and the Beast that they just did. I'm like, why are we still trying at this? Can we stop? Oh, should I like? I watched a clip of I got like five notes into Shania and was like, nope. And then I did watch her and Josh Groban do the Beauty and the Beast and her shred on the guitars. But that was cool. But other than that, I don't think we need these things. Like, again, I'm just like, this is worse than stunt casting on Broadway. <laughs> like that's how I I'm, I'm like like the Broadway shows already exist like the musical theater shows mm-hmm. exist just let them be over there like this like hot mess oh anyway <laughs> yeah. anyway but anyway, back to 1992, there were, like, a lot of movies aimed at kids, and they were, like, killing it because, like, Home Alone 2 that year managed to rake in enough money to be number three for the whole year, and it came out in November. Right. right. And as far as sequels go, do you think it's it outshined the original one? I, d- I feel like Home Alone 2 is one of the few sequels that didn't outshine, but it was like, oh, no, this is still really good. Mm-hmm. Like, it was one of the... but. And it, it really kind of was before, like, well, I mean, I shouldn't say that because there still are, I'm looking at the top 10 and there's three sequels in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I feel like it was still before everything needed to have a sequel where like, it, like it was expect, like you leave your movie open-ended because like you're expecting there to be a sequel. Um, it was fun. And I feel like it, it did enough to give it a new story but still stayed to what the to say stay to like what it was like what was great about the original like you know what i mean like they like they, they, i feel like it checked enough boxes that people were like oh yeah and also a movie like that around like opening like at christmas time mm-hmm. when you also know that a lot, a lot of families are going to be doing that for example the the community theater that i work at Every few years we do a Christmas carol. Why? Because we know that families are going to come and sit and watch it, no matter how many times people have seen it. So it's like it's also it was also like smart marketing. It was Macaulay Culkin couldn't get cooler than that in the '90s, especially right. the, well the early '90s. But another movie that had a lot of sequels, 
Beethoven. <laughs> the movie, <laughs> no CGI, just a simple St. Bernard dog. It had like four or something movies after the original 92. I think there's miss like these, nine of them. Do you miss so, those kind of movies, though? Those simple family movies? So, so number one, I will be 100% honest, I have never seen a Beethoven movie. Don't see the first, see the second. <laughs> so number one, I haven't seen any of them. However, I will say, what like those kind of movies, like now, I, I just saw a TikTok about it the other day. Like those kind of movies now are the ones that are like just streaming. Like it's pretty much the equivalent of like your Netflix holiday romantic mm-hmm. comedy. Um, like, in my I, notes, I, though, I said I don't even think a movie like this would land on freebie. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. The thing is, like, those kind of movies, however, my mother would still go to, like, Sam's Club or BJ's and still buy, like, any and all of those movies. Like, Dunstan Checks In, Baby's <laughs> Day Out, um, any, you know, anything with, like, an animal in it or whatever. Homeward Bound. Like, all of those movies, like, there were so many of them and, like, these feel-good things. But again, like, the... And even if they didn't do well at the movie theater, because, like, you know, we're looking at the top ten, aside from Home Alone and, I mean, and Aladdin being, you know, a Disney movie, none of these are, like, real, like, family movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, because they were also knew that they would make up whatever it is that they lost at the movie theater in home video release. Oh, yeah, we have, like especially that. Disney, if you had to have those big, chunky VHS boxes. Right. And Pete, and and so they knew that, like, I mean, this is, you know, when we were growing up, like, my mom would be like, oh, no, that's a renter. Like, when we saw a trailer, it's like, <laughs> oh, no, that's a renter. So we'll just wait until it comes out on video, and then we'll go rent it. Um, and, like, th- those kind of movies, like, that's what it was. It was like, oh, we'll just wait till it gets on VHS, and then we'll go, we'll go get it. However... By 1992, I think we had finally gotten my dad to get a VHS because we were firmly Betamax people. Oh, wow. Well, well into the 90s. Wow. Even, yes. my, even my trailer trash family, we had a VCR pretty early on. My, my, my dad, to this day, refuses to get in on any new technology. We have had to drag him kicking and screaming into any new device. Now, as soon as he gets it, he likes it and sees the benefits of it. But getting him convinced to get it has been a struggle for the past, how old am I? 40 years. Yeah, parents, especially like parents of that era, are very resistant. My mom is so mad that they don't didn't offer flip phones anymore. <laughs> She's like, I hate this. And my dad, who's in his 80s, he, has, he still works and he has to clock in and out on an app on a phone. Oh. And yeah, HR knows when he's walking in that he messed it up again. <laughs> He's just like, and he said when he walks into Verizon, they go, oh, crap, there he is again. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. He's a problem. But like you mentioned, there were like a good amount of family movies, but a lot of them weren't for families. And I think The Bodyguard was one of them. And I mean, for talk me, about cultural reset. I mean, it, for me, though, it was more about the soundtrack. Oh, because, yeah. God, it's it's perfect. And I'm always like forever sad that I never got to see Whitney Houston live. Is there any late singers that you're kind of pissed about that you'll never see? I mean, Whitney Houston is definitely one that I'm sad that I never got to see her live. Um, I've been very fortunate enough that a lot of mine, um, I have been able, I have been able to see. 
Like I would, I would still love to see Barbara Streisand, but I know that she doesn't really do live stuff anymore. Um, I mean, the other thing is like there, there are filmed concerts now, so it's like you know, you, you can find anything on YouTube. So like it's like I don't really feel that. But Whitney Houston, I'm definitely sad that I never got to see her live. Yeah, that one. Oh, I've gotten to see a good deal of my favorites. Thankfully, like living in LA, whenever someone would do Jimmy Kimmel, and it right. might have just been like two songs, but you know, if I got to see him, I got to see him. So I got to see Mariah Carey there, which was phenomenal, and Garth Brooks. But I'm also seeing Garth Brooks next summer, and I'm so excited <laughs> at his um, Vegas residency. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, if you have not, uh, Janet's about to go on tour. And oh, I, I got him. I'm going to Bristol, Virginia. <laughs> Bristol. Yes. Um, I saw her about 12 years ago in uh, New Jersey, in Atlantic City. Still one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Yeah, because I'm not like the biggest fan, but I'm a fan. Like, she's going to do the hits. So right. I was like, let's just get these cheap lawns to the old cheapish lawn seats and we'll just go have a good time. My husband does like ludicrous. So. Right. She's she's so great. So back to the bodyguard. So the bodyguard didn't even come out until until like late November. Um, and it still was like such a huge thing. And so big. Like, I think that it carried through completely through the year of 1993. <laughs> it was such a huge deal and the soundtrack and I and I feel like The Bodyguard was one of the movies that really solidified you need to have a soundtrack for, yes. for your movies. Because after that was like, you know, when we got the Batman Forever soundtrack, you know, with mm-hmm. Kiss from a Rose and we got um, even just that Three Musketeers song when Brian Adams just became like the guy who had all of the songs and all of the movies. I mean, he had, he did just have the the song from Robin Hood, um, Prince of Thieves in like '91 or whatever. But it was like that. That's when like these movies from these soundtracks like really became like the you need to have a you need to have the hit. But also just like looking at the calendar of when movies came out. Can you imagine living again? Because I can because I was there. But in 1993. Being able to go to the movie theater and see that Aladdin, The Bodyguard, and The Crying Game all <laughs> opening in the same weekend. It would be like, a, well, that's a triple feature. And then definitely right. cheaper to go. <laughs> and just and just two, and just like a week before was Home Alone 2. Like, wild. Like, what a wild selection. And, and just before that, Malcolm X came out. Like... What? Movies were movieing in the nineties. Really, and and also Bram Stoker's Dracula was still playing in the movie theater at the time. Like November nineteen ninety two, just in itself as as a as a month was crazy. Then a few then a few weeks later, you get the banger of a few good men, followed up in the same weekend, a Muppet Christmas Carol. which I think everyone can agree is the best version oh, of the Christmas Carol. One hundred. Like there, there is not a month in 1992 that does not have like. Just, and then in in October there was Reservoir Dogs, which I'm not a Quentin Tarantino fan. I find him to be really trash, but I also cannot deny like his impact on the movie industry, like in general. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I my husband's huge Tarantino fan, and I'd never seen any of them. I think I saw Django before we started dating, so that's it. And I was like, that movie is good, but it's like two hours too long. So he made his favorite is Jackie Brown, Jackie and I watched that. Na- now that is one of my favorite movies. But other uh, than that, I mean, I, I I do like Kill Bill. Yeah, look, I did watch bits and pieces when he was watching. That one's good. I was like, more girls. Those are yes. better. Um, but I did not. What is that one? Pulp Fiction. Don't get yep. it. No, no. Um, but Mighty Ducks came out in October. Like fucking Mighty Ducks. Oh, so good. And also a family, like a family favorite of ours, is The Last of the Mohicans came out in <laughs> September of that year. Like just again, I'm just like looking through, like finding like one in each month. Just so good. Uh, what's in August? Come on, there's gotta be a good one in here. Three Ninjas? Are you kidding me? I was literally just tweeting about Three Ninjas. I love the one where they go to Japan. Oh, yeah. Oh, because Colt is just so cute. Right. Well, that's, I think that's also the second actor who plays Colt. Yeah, he wasn't cute till they went to Japan. <laughs> and, then, and Rocky's also pretty cute, but right. I always like Colt. The summer blockbusters of of 1992 so in july we get a league of their own which i can also quote the entire movie what an amazing film that is um and in that same month we got baby's kids buffy the vampire slayer and death becomes her Mm. baby's kids i always like i'm like i go with a lot of white people and i'm like do you guys know what like my mom she being white and hispanic i think she would just like show us black things to be like <laughs> look you are black and that was one of the movies and i would go to school and nobody knew what that was and i was like you guys don't know baby's kids <laughs> my little the two other black kids in the town knew what it was I, so again i grew up in a you know white suburban town and I, for whatever reason even we watch baby's kids a lot um growing Deer up park I, knew but but again, death becomes her. Oh, so good. This was also I forgot. Like I'm looking through these. This was also back when um, all of the Disney movies they'd re-release them in the theaters, mm-hmm. and then like McDonald's would also have like the matching Happy Meals toys. Oh yeah. Like talk about marketing genius. Like that's why even though like you know all of those Disney movies were so old, that's why like they're also like new young and fresh to us because they would they again have a literal chokehold on us being like here it is in the movie theater now we're re-releasing it on video and you get to collect all of these toys like yeah like my older brother my mom was like oh we're gonna go watch oliver and company in theaters because your older brother liked it and i'm like when the hell did this movie come out but i loved it (laughs) (laughs) like give me more (laughs) right and then in june uh uh Batman Returns, which was also another, like, huge hit. Again, uh, what a freaking good movie. Again, what small little queer child did not want to be Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman? Oh, she was a crush on the show before, yeah, as a sexual awakening. (laughs) Right, right. The whip. (laughs) Right. And also, like, have you seen the video of her doing that in one take? Oh, no. (laughs) So the, the scene where she whips all the heads off the mannequins... She did that in her first take. Icon. 
I know. Just, she and I share a birthday. Just FYI. <laughs> like, I too am an icon. Right. <laughs> Sister Act also came out that year, which, uh, I mean, Sister Act 2 has, in my opinion, the more iconic mm-hmm. songs because of Lauren Hill. Um, but Sister Act was still such, such a good movie. I didn't know there was, well, obviously it's called Sister Act 2, but I did not know there was a first when I was little because I loved the second one so much. I was right. like, there was one before this, but this one's perfection. So, but now we're getting a third. Right. So in, in April of 1992, so I remember this and like being so sad about it. Fern Gully came out. And I was obsessed and I wanted to go see it. But none of my siblings, even though April is my birth month. And so like for my birthday, I want to see Fern Gully because it came out in early April and my family decided that they were going to wait until it was my birthday. It had already left the theaters oh, by my birthday. So I had to wait for it to come out on VHS. Um, but also, um, even though it was not <clears throat> popular in the movie theater, Another movie that came out that was uh, then a huge success on VHS was Newsies, which I don't know if I can talk about a, a, talk to a musical theater girl without mentioning like Newsies and then being like, oh, the movie is so great, but the you know the Broadway show is just so incredible, and I'm like, girl, Newsies isn't that great, but <laughs> but live your life. Like I'm not gonna yuck your yum. <laughs> Well, they have cute little hats, don't they? Right, right. Oh, Cutting Edge is another movie that came out. What a freaking like! I, like for me again, like watching all of these movies as a rental, like that's a renter. So good, so good. And also, oh, my cousin Vinny. That's right, I forgot. In nineteen eighty-two, um, that was the year that uh, Marissa Tomei won her Oscar for My Cousin Vinny. So good. Mm-mm. Well, are you ready for some popcorn questions? Yes, please. Right? You're just going to give me a number one through 50. We're going to do okay. five of them. Let's do 17. Okay. This is a controversial one that I still see articles about today. Could Jack have fit on the floating door with Rose and Titanic? There was, there was literally like just someone shared some meme about that even James Cameron was like, he would have died. And I'm, so here's the thing. I, in my head canon, I feel like Jack could have gotten up there, but it would have been more of a struggle and she would have gotten like more wet than she already was. And I feel like that was like Jack's thing was to like keep her out of the water as much as possible. That's just what I think. I'm sure that they potentially could have made it work or they could have both end up drowning. It's whatever. Again, I, I, also to me, that's another sort of like um, me and my friends, when we watch movies together, we have a firm drinking rule that when you start questioning like something about the movie, just drink for trying to make sense. Like, <laughs> it, it happened because that is the way that it needed to happen for the story. So just let it go and enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean... It made the movie. He had to die. Right. Also, there's right. that whole theory that he wasn't even real, that he was a time traveler. There you go. <laughs> People are wild. I know. I, I love. Wild. I love getting into. Like, I would never want to talk to the people that come up with these, but I right. love reading them. I love reading their posts. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's your next number? 
Um, let's do uh, 47. What was the superior Happy Meal toy in the 90s? Okay, so this, okay. So as a very huge connoisseur of the Happy Meal toys, one of my favorites of the 90s was the Batman Returns Catwoman car because it was one of the first Catwoman action figures that I was ever allowed to have. Where when you when she rode when when you drove her the tail on the back of the car would like wag. Oh like, okay. Freaking live for that. But also because like if we're just talking about like the entirety of the nineties like there were so many. There's also the one that I literally just found at my parents' house and gave to my friend Dax as a present, which is the storm from the X Men where she's in a tornado and when you spin her wheel, she, like sparks light up inside the whirlwind. I remember that one. Like. Like, icon, icon. Also, another, like, early toy that I was allowed to have because it came in the Happy Meal was when Batman the Animated Series came out and I was lucky enough to get the Catwoman um, in that. So, like, I mean, there were just so many. Like, to me, the truly iconic toys, and I, someone would need to fact-check me as if they came out in the late 80s or early 90s, was when the Muppet Babies ones came out. Because we, me and my brothers were like, we were going to collect them all. And it was like Kermit on a skateboard and Gonzo <laughs> on a tricycle and Fozzie Bear on a rocking horse with wheels. And Miss Piggy had a little pink like car that she sat in. Like that shit was iconic. I always love, I love the ones from the Flintstones movie. Oh. Um, like that was my jam. Cause you could build the whole city. And yeah. I don't think I ever collected like a whole set of McDonald's toys. We really tried hard. My family, for some reason, for the Inspector Gadget one movie, <laughs> did not, we did not like the movie at all. We were not fans of it. We did not like Matthew Broderick. He wasn't a fan. But my mom was like, we are going to every single McDonald's. <laughs> Later in life I did get all the chipmunks for the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie that yes. <laughs> like, like when I tell you that my mom cause you know she has four kids like she would be like okay she's like for real for real like which ones do you have back there because I need you to either make sure that all four of my kids have the exact same one or you gotta give me one of each mm, so there's no fighting yes yes uh, I always and of course I love the Barbies Oh my god. I was never allowed to get like like when they split it like when they started splitting it up mm-hmm. between girl toy and boy toy, which always of course made me viciously angry. Um, I was never allowed to get the so that so that that's when I wouldn't get a kid's meal. I would then just get like a cheeseburger meal. Gotcha. Instead of a happy meal because I could I knew I couldn't get Barbie. I wish that I still had them because I oh they had such good ones. Oh <laughs> like there was this pretty like black Barbie and she had like a white dress and this like beautiful like plum top I guess, and there was this beautiful detail in the white part of the dress. Oh, I loved it. Oh, st- dang you mom for making me toss all my stuff. Rude. <laughs> What's your next number? Um, let's keep with the sevens and go 37. Okay, if Brandy and Monica wanted your heart, which one, which one are you going for? <sighs> so, I'm gonna go with Brandy. Because of, I, so I I I I liked some of her later her later music. Like I definitely liked. Uh, was it Full Moon? Was that her mm-hmm. album? I love yeah, that one. Um, and also like 
I mean, she is Cinderella. Like, she is Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella. Like, I, I'm gonna have to go, I'm gonna have to go with Brandy. Also, from the iconic, have you seen Jackie's Back? See, no, I don't think Starring, so. starring Jennifer Lewis. Uh, mm-mm. First of all, okay, so you're gonna need to stop what you're doing. <laughs> you're gonna need to go find a copy or see, see if you can find it on screen, but it's called Jackie's Back. Starring Jennifer Lewis. Um, and it's a mockumentary of a uh, of a singer who was like a child singer in the 60s into like her comeback and like the I guess it was like the early 2000s. Okay. Um, so when she's being interviewed she, and they also get like real celebrities to like be themselves in it as well. <laughs> Uh, like Diane Carroll uh, did they get Whitney Houston I don't remember but anyway so there's this part where Jennifer Lewis Jack, aka Jackie Washington also when Jennifer Lewis just got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame it was on Jackie Washington Day for the oh. <laughs> Um but they ask her like oh you know do you feel like you influenced uh, you know younger artists and she was like they've all stolen from me all of the divas Whitney Mariah Lil Brandy <laughs> I don't know what it is about her saying Lil Brandy that freaking kills me. And then the <laughs> fact that, like, she and Brandy are now, I guess, like, friends because, you know, they did, like, that uh, viral, um, I don't want nobody fucking with oh. me in these streets. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I I love Brandy. But also, you should go see Jackie's Back. It's it's so good. I just looked it up and it does look pretty amazing just from the cover. <laughs> so, like, like like most movies in that sort of like vein or whatever, like there's that weird, I would say, third fourth of the movie that's like it just kind of drags and it's awkward. And then you and then they just gotta like wrap it up or whatever. But also her assistant slash daughter is named Entendra simply for the <laughs> one joke of her to go and make it a double Entendra. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> They were like, they wrote that na- that joke, and they're like, how can we? Yes, <laughs> and, that's yeah, her and then name. her name her name is just Entendre. <laughs> What's your next number? <laughs> uh, let's do number seven. Which teen show did you watch growing up and think, man, high school is going to be amazing if it's like that? <laughs> uh, um, I mean, I I, I guess either. The, I mean, the only high school shows that I. Well, I, I should say there was like three high school shows that I like shows that took place in high school. Number one was um, Saved by the Bell. Number two was Nine Hundred Two One Zero, and number three was Maddie Morphing Power Rangers. Three very different high school experiences. Yes, <laughs> but also as someone who, uh, again, queer child growing up in a small town, I also knew that high school wasn't going to be like that. Um. Like, I already knew that, like, things weren't going to be great for me. I still had a relatively good time in high school. Like, I found my people. I got into theater and, like, had friends and stuff. Um, but, like, I don't know. I guess I don't think I ever watched those tricked. shows and, and was like, oh, this is what, the, you know, oh, I can't wait to go to prom because prom's going to be so amazing. Or, like, you know, I can't, like, we just, like, run for class president or whatever. Like, no, I none of that I don't remember any of those shows being like, oh, high school's gonna be amazing, because, like, I already knew that school wasn't the best for me. You lived in a reality. <laughs> I mean, 
I was like, I the OC, I was like, when you turn 17, life just gets so much better. Like, you finally, the boy's gonna like you. (laughs) Oh. 17 came and went, nothing happened. Like, I already had such a vivid, like, fantasy world because I was into, like, comic books and stuff that, like, the reality of, like, a high school was, like, that's not... Like, like that, 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 that was never like my fantasy. Like all of my fantasies dealt with like traveling into like space or like <laughs> fighting super villains and stuff. All right. And your last popcorn question. Uh, well, round out with, uh, did I already say 27? Uh, no. Okay. 27. I'm like, oh. I'm staying with all the seven. Okay. This is a fuck, Mary kill nineties edition. Oh. Danny Tanner, uncle Joey and uncle Jesse. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna marry Uncle Jesse because, yeah, I, 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 I mean, yeah, I'm gonna marry, I'm gonna marry Jesse. No, no, fuck Joey, cause no thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, marry Uncle Jesse, and I'll, sure, I'll fuck Danny Tanner. I, I would, I would marry Danny. I, as I got older, he was more attractive now that I'm older. Um, so, 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 like, I get that because also he's the one with like the stable job and like yeah. the and all of that stuff. So, like, I get that, house. and I, I never say it. But it's also like Jesse eventually got his shit together, and he's but, still hot and still has that hair. But that, that was like even as a kid, I was like, I want to do things with Uncle Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, Uncle Jesse is just doing something. You're like. God dang, those girls get to be with Uncle Jesse all day. <laughs> oh, and I hated Aunt Becky. I was so jealous of her. Right, right, right. Like, mm-hmm, curse you. So, before we wrap up, if you were the age you are now in 1992, what do you think you'd be doing? Girl, you took me to a dark place, so I'm not going to answer <laughs> that way. Because I, I was like, let's face it, if I was my age now in 1992, I'd probably be dead. My husband said the same, like, kind of thing. Right. Like, I mean, I, I like, I would, I mean, in, in all reality. <laughs> but we're living in fantasy. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I would, I would probably still, I would probably be, like, a teacher, uh, probably, like, a theater teacher at, like, a high school or something. Like, I probably would have, like, gone that route um, and been, like, an educator, probably, because... Yeah, but yeah. Would you be going and seeing Madonna live? Oh, um, for, first of all, you already know that I would have already seen. I would have already seen the Blonde Ambition tour. I definitely w- would be going to see the Girly Show, which is her tour that would be coming up to support Erotica. Like, absolutely, absolutely, I would be taking those teacher funds and going to the show. <laughs> right, right. Well, before we go, can you remind us where we can find you online? Absolutely. You can find me across all social media platforms at Demanda Martini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Well, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk to me about everything 1992 and everyone. You can find all of Demanda's information below. And until next time, as always, keep crushing it.